Hello, Paul Scott here again for part two of this weekend's podcast. It's the 1st of April, so let's hope I don't say anything particularly foolish today. I haven't got any elaborate uh, uh, jokes lined up for April Fool's Day, I'm afraid, although my detractors might say that the whole podcast is an April Fool. <laughs> anyway, my good news, my exciting news, is that I'm now on holiday uh, for a week. I'm jetting off to Gozo. Well, jetting off to Malta, rather, and then uh, getting a hire car and driving up to the smaller sister island called Gozo, which I go to every year. I absolutely love it in Gozo. It's um, probably the most... I'm not, I'm not religious myself, but it's probably the most Catholic place on earth. It's an island that's about 10 miles uh, long, and it's got 21 cathedrals. Cathedrals, not churches. All the villages uh, several hundred years ago seem to have got cathedral envy. And if uh, the neighbouring village built uh, a cathedral, and one of them's got a dome that's this, almost the same size as St Paul's Cathedral. This is incredible stuff. Uh, you think of the madness and the cost of that, probably spread over maybe a 1,000 or 500 people <laughs> over a 100 years or something to build a cathedral. What, what they could have done with that money instead. But anyway, it's a fascinating place. So all I can say is I am... Well, I'm not planning on losing control, although that remains to be seen. There's, there was one glass of wine left from last night's bottle, so I'm uh, lubricating my usual uh, uh, throat issues with a little drop of uh, a nice drop of carver. So if I start slurring my words and talking absolute bollocks, you'll know why. Right, what have we got then? Macro. Oh yes, the, now I should say this is all a bit unform and, um, unformatted. What I do is I keep a pad next to my keyboard each week and when something interesting in terms of news or macro comes up, I just jot it down. So it's all rather unordered. But before that, given that it's the end of Q1, I thought this would be a good point to take stock about the year-to-date uh, figures. And so year-to-date on the FTSE... It's, uh, I'm only actually looking at the chart here, not taking the figures directly off. It's actually slightly up year to date. So over the last um, couple of weeks, it reached a low and has actually rebounded quite nicely, particularly in the last week. So FTSE 100 is not looking too bad. It's 7632 at close of play. Now, Stockopedia has got a nice little um, section. You click on the main menu on Browse. And then under market data, you can choose indices or sectors. So I just click on that, and then I click on the right-hand button at the top, chart view. And it just gives you smaller charts uh, of all the different indices all on one page. It's quite good to get a, a, an overview. Even though the sentiment feels absolutely shockingly bad at the moment, especially in small caps, when you look at these indices, the volatility we've seen this year is really quite normal. It doesn't look anything particularly unusual on these charts. So I think, you know, maybe instead of being immersed in all the negativity of day-to-day uh, press reports, which are obviously always exaggerated because they want you to click on it, I mean, the headline writers at The Telegraph are diabolical, I think. You know, they just... It really winds me up when I read all the headlines. And then very often the article doesn't actually reflect that what, what, what the headline says at all. It's really poor... Now, the FTSE 250, the mid-cap index, again, of similar shape to the FTSE 100, hasn't rebounded quite so much in the last 
uh, week or so. And again, it's, it looks as if it's very slightly up year to date. So the mid cap index is 18,928. Now, small caps, obviously, is where sentiment seems to be the worst. It feels terrible sentiment at the moment, which excites me, because that's when you get your bargains. Uh, AIM has taken... uh, Well, AIM rallied very strongly, as you know, in January and February. It's given back more than all of that rally, and it bottomed out at around... What's that? About 790. It's bounced to 810, so 20-point bounce, only a couple of percent bounce. I can't see much evidence of of enthusiasm for buying AIM shares. And the trouble is, because so many of them are so illiquid, um, you know, it doesn't take much. Most of the drops I'm seeing on a lot of these things are not happening on big volume. So I think the rebounds, when they come, could be very strong for companies that are performing well. And plenty of them are. It's not all doom and gloom. But we also know there'll be more profit warnings. So... It is, a, it is a, a minefield at the moment, isn't it? Game of snakes and ladders. Uh, so, yeah, AIM is down year to date uh, by a, a few percentage points. Now, I thought I'd review quarterly, although a quarter is no time really in stock market terms. I thought I'd review my watch list for 2023, which I published on a, on a spreadsheet um, for Stockopedia readers. Um, I'm quite pleased with it, actually. Bear in mind, these are all small caps. Uh, so uh, my my benchmark really is the two or three percent drop in aim year to date. Now I th- I I spend a lot of time picking my top twenty value shares, value and growth at reasonable price. So these are all things that are uh, cheap and uh, are performing well and have decent balance sheets. So I deliberately chose these as nice, cautious stocks that if they warned on profits, as inevitably some of them will. They would actually, I would be inclined to buy more rather than uh, uh, using stop losses or selling them. Anyway, I'm pleased to say that my top 20 watch list of small caps is up 8% year to date. Now, as I say, three months is no time, so I'm not um, celebrating this in any way at all. Um, But I thought that wasn't bad, actually. My star performer was BOTB, which is up 42% year to date, and that is my biggest personal holding I've got, um, must be nearly a third of my um, SIP is in BOTB, so I'm pleased with that. I run a very concentrated uh, personal portfolio. Um, What's this ROL? Oh, Rotala, that obscure buses thing, that's up 29%. Gleason, the house builders, up 26% year to date. That The house builders bounced very strongly this week, which actually I did flag in last week's podcast at the end, saying have a look at the house builders because they're cheap again. So I hope some of you caught that bounce. Port Merion's up 25%. That's a, a personal shareholding of mine. Uh, Reynolds up 19%. Goodwin up 16%. So, yeah, I'm really pleased so far, early days, with my Value Garp top 20 watch list for this year. So what's gone wrong in that list? Only really one. And, you know, there'll inevitably be some uh, profit warnings. So I don't feel I've necessarily picked a bad stock, you know, um, they happen. And it's Wincanton, W-I-N, the logistics group. That's down 36% year to date. But as I say, it's the type of share, they lost a big contract and they've had various other cost pressures. But as I say, I, I, that's actually on my watch list. It's the sort of thing I want to buy because it's fundamentally a really good company, I think. And the fact that it's, you know, having a bit of a, a dip in performance doesn't alter the fundamental case 
for the share, so I'm happy to keep that on the list. The second biggest faller on my watch list is Volex, VLX, down 14%. Now, with that one, we've had no news from it. It's £2.16. I need to see a current trading update before being either more bullish or bearish on Volex. Then my runners-up list, which was another watch list I did of lower conviction value go-up shares, that's performed... um, (coughs) That's not had any big winners. It's had three or four that are up 10%. Overall, it's only up 1% year-to-date, so, and that has been pulled down by drops in Reach, down 21%, RCH, the newspaper group, and Ready, Northgate, down 17%, which I'm quite surprised at. So, and then my speculative list is gone bloody hell, and this is absolutely crazy. It's up 5% year-to-date, driven by a 260% rise in the takeover bid of, of Seraphine, which we've discussed before. Also, Boohoo's up 62%, and IG Design is up 59%. So some cracking winners in just three months on that speculative tab. But then at the bottom end, I've had two that have crapped out. One Disco, which I've actually marked as a zero, so that 5% uh, lift on the whole watch list takes into account writing off one Disco to zero, where unfortunately I got caught up in a fraud which is very disappointing, well, it's shattering, you know, because you just don't imagine that's going to happen for a market cap that peaked at 900 million, you know, but there we go. Uh, TPX Impact as well, I ditched those off the watch list after the first profit warning, so I've taken a 52% hit off that, closed it off, and then Polarin Imaging has dropped 62%, POLX, I'm really surprised at uh, the way that one's panned out, but there we go. And DLAR, De La Rue, is also minus 34%. So my my speculative list is really panning out into big winners and big losers. So I'm glad I made it clear it was speculative. Anyway, that's me. So my core Valley Garp stuff is, has significantly outperformed in um, Q1, I'm pleased to say. Now, looking at my list of random points I've written down through the year, there are actually, uh, through, the court, through the week, there have actually been some quite interesting... Quite positive developments, I think. I saw that Nasdaq rose 17% in Q1, um, which is quite surprising for a a UK investor who doesn't look at the American indices that much. Um, So tech appears to be coming back into fashion. Uh, Lots of job losses in big tech, though, but actually, you know, shareholders may be saying, well, that's good for us, not so good for the staff, of course. Now, energy costs, I want to focus on that. They are now falling. I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks that I think we're going to start seeing companies telling us that actually uh, their energy costs are now starting to fall because the wholesale rates obviously have dropped very substantially. Um, and now the first evidence that I've seen came this week from Nightcap, or well, that might have been last week, where they said energy costs are now, uh, the outlook for their energy costs is below what they have planned for, below forecast. So the, he- the, the, the severe headwind of the last year is now turning into a tailwind for companies. I think that's very interesting, although I suspect what, what a lot of companies are saying is that wages costs are a big headwind and that maybe but at least falling energy costs fingers crossed if that continues uh could well at least partially offset some inflationary costs elsewhere i'll come on to this point in a bit more detail later um oh yeah just on markets generally 
What you often see, and I think we're seeing it at the moment, is that small caps, when the main indices start to recover, small caps are often left behind. And that is what your big opportunity, I think. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting more bullish on small caps now because I think if you, if you pick them carefully, where you've had a recent trading update telling you that the company's trading fine and the outlook and order book are strong, you know, you're getting it at a bombed-out valuation usually. And I think, I think we're seeing lovely buying opportunities again in individual companies. So if, if I had any spare cash... I'd be putting it to use right now, uh, very selectively. Now, thinking about this banking turmoil, I'm not calling it a crisis. Apparently, I'm told that Joe Biden and uh, Janet Yellen have said the, they'll be protecting more more bank deposits if the if the turmoil gets worse. Well, that's the key to stopping contagion, isn't it? And so far, fingers crossed. Contagion seems to have been prevented. I see First Citizen Bank is buying 72 billion of Silicon Valley Bank's assets at a 16 billion dollar discount. So its shares bounce very strongly on that deal. Apparently, interesting. I thought uh, these. This is just random points here. Dialyte. Uh, now they said supply chain problems are continuing in the short term expecting an alleviation in the second half of 2023. So there are some companies, particularly companies making uh, technological-related products, which I suppose stems from the ongoing semiconductor problems, (coughs) they seem to be the companies still reporting supply chain problems, whereas other sectors, from what I'm observing, practically all the companies I've looked at are saying supply chains are improving, um, problems are easing or have gone all together. So that's really good. Now, on CNBC and on the American market emails I get, they seem to be saying that commercial real estate refinancings could be the next problem. And I believe that part of the Silicon Valley assets, in other words, loans, that were sold at a discount, The apparently the... Um, <clears throat> where was it? The, uh, the ones related to commercial real estate in America, were at a 23% discount. So that seems to be the area where uh, commercial real estate, where investors are worried. So about whether and on what terms companies are going to be able to refinance their debts. So valid point, I think. So the only commercial real estate exposure I've got is with Watkin Jones, which has a completely different business model. They forward sell and they don't have balance sheet uh, exposure. So that's fine. Now, interesting snippet from results from Tortilla, ticker MEX. This is the burritos chain. Sorry I didn't get around to looking at their accounts. The share price hasn't moved, so I'm I'm, going to take a look at those when I'm uh, on holiday next week. Uh, I think it's an interesting company. No rush to buy the shares because it's a horrible sector right now. Uh, But why was I mentioning Tortilla? Oh, yes. Now, they said central London is almost back to pre-COVID levels of footfall. That's very interesting, isn't it? I spent some time up in London recently, and I have to say, you know, subjectively, it it does feel pretty much back to normal. Uh, (coughs) So... There might be some something you can do in terms of individual shares that are bombed out, that have a lot of exposure to central London, and have good business models might be surprising on the upside. Who knows? 
Oh, this concerned me. There seems to be a threat of Royal Mail going into administration. Now, this was a ridiculous privatisation, and I'm not making a political point here, but it never should have been privatised in the first place. Mrs Thatcher famously uh, rejected the idea, saying, you know, I'm not going to sell the Queen's head, which was obviously just a a throwaway, flippant remark. But... um, you know, the negotiations with the striking workers seem to be uh, reaching um, a, a crux, you know, a climax. And, um, you know, the idea of it just being put into administration, it, I, I, it, given the universal service model, that part of the Royal Mail never should have been privatised. It's crazy. So what's going to happen? Well, obviously, it'll just be nationalised, won't it? The bit that the private owners don't like. So pff, ridiculous situation. But it could... <gasps> excuse me. We always have to have one hiccup. There might be two today, actually, because I'm drinking sparkling wine. So the, um, you know, companies that rely on post and parcels delivery could see some upset there. Uh, Moonpig uh, springs to mind, although they uh, said trading was in line, despite the disruption to the post recently. Now, uh, oh, this was another interesting postscript on Silicon Valley Bank. I picked up again from CNBC that uh, a testimony by an official from the Fed said that SVB deposited withdrew, I think, $40 billion on the day of the bank run. Uh, it was then shut down that evening, I believe. But deposit requests were were already in for the next day for $100 billion. So basically, the bank run, which only lasted two or three days, depositors tried to withdraw 81% of the whole bank's deposits which is a staggering figure isn't it 81 percent of all deposits in two days now if that happened to the uk banks they wouldn't be able to pay that out i looked at barclays and although it's got huge deposits at the bank of england i don't think it would be enough to pay out 81 percent of depositors so but obviously there's you know there's a there's a a state guarantee basically isn't there over the, the major UK banks, so I think that's not likely to happen. But it really does reinforce just how fast and how extensive bank runs can now be with everyone on these electronic platforms. You can press a few buttons on your phone. I touched that last in last week's podcast as well, but it was the 81% figure that's new and really quite stunning. Now, what have we got? Oh, yeah, about small caps generally. I think this downward grind that we're seeing is really debilitating, I must admit. I'm finding it very difficult to maintain my bright and sunny disposition. Uh, And I'm having to sort of really pretend that I'm uh, uh, bright and sunny. Whereas bear markets are so painful, aren't they? It's just a daily grind down, the occasional little bounce, and then more grinding down. But it's um, it's on low volumes. I don't see mass panic. And I think we're getting to the point where I think in a lot of the small caps I hold, Anyone who's likely to sell probably has sold already. Although large holders, I did hear this week, one of my friends has decided, he's a big, you know, big investor, has decided to just liquidate all his small cap holdings and go into fixed interest investing instead. Because he can earn you know, good returns from fixed interest stuff. And when interest rates drop, which I think they probably will next year, you know, the capital values on fixed income stuff will go up as well, depending on the the duration um, of the bonds. So I think that could we could continue to see overhangs in some small caps where big sellers 
are just drip feeding shares into the market. Um, it's difficult to know which ones are doing that, but there's a really good feature on Stockopedia, actually. If you click on major shareholders, it lists the over over 3% shareholders, but it colour codes them and it shows the most recent transaction. So you can see in red the ones that are selling, reducing their holdings, and in green the ones that are increasing. And that's quite a nice indicator, actually. So you can identify if there is a big holder just drip-feeding shares into the market. And if there's not, you know, the rebound on the shares could be... Could be could happen sooner and be larger than if uh, um so it's worth looking at that i think won't be an infallible indicator but might give might help you a bit what else have we got uh <clears throat> oh i've just covered that yeah okay next item they're going to be more profit warnings aren't there for sure we had two from the cybersecurity space on friday ncc and shearwater quite surprising because i would have thought cybersecurity would be um a buoyant area, but it, it seems that customers are, are delaying, deferring, or cancelling purchase decisions. So I think we need to be a little bit careful about software companies. Um, you know, they might struggle. I think we'll get more warnings in that sector and companies struggling to uh, close deals. I was I was a little bit nervous about Cerulean, C-E-R, lovely company long-term that does telecom software. But I'm pleased to say they did announce, I think on Friday... Uh, a ten million pound contract or dollar contract win, although it's a ten year deal, so it's only a million a year. Uh, but they said it helps reinforce existing forecasts. So it's good to see um, that IT company saying that it is uh, winning. So yeah, definitely more profit warnings. This is why we diversify because we don't know which companies are going to warn on profit. Although it's surprising, you know, I've looked at a few lately where the the warning signs were in the previous outlook statements. <clears throat> I think NCC was one where if you look back, they refer to a lengthening sales cycle in the trading update that was about two months prior. So I think there's a lot to be said now. Let's scrutinise those outlook statements very carefully. If it says that, you know, we're seeing early signs of customer reluctance to sign deals and things, then I just think, I think, hit the sell button. I really do. You can always buy them back, can't you? Uh, the only thing is with hitting the sell button, you then miss a takeover bid if a takeover bid happens. But I think we do need to be careful about profit warnings. There's going to be a lot more this year, for sure. I would wish I could tell you which sectors and which companies, but I can't. Okay, uh, now a friend of mine, Mark, flagged up that UPGS, Ultimate Products uh, GS, um, <clears throat> Global Sourcing, have flagged that they're now getting a container rate from shipping in from China of only $1,300. Well, it peaked at about $19,000. This is a massive tailwind now for companies, and I picked up on this point in my interview with Port Merion. PMP. I do hold Port Marion personally. I think it's really good, really cheap, but DYOR as always. Now, the CEO there uh, gave me some figures on that. And I mean, it worked out at high single digits of millions of pounds um, the uh, saving on their freight costs. He brings in 600 containers a year for the product that's made in China. A lot of it's made in Stoke-on-Trent, of course. But they then, um, I suppose, got freight costs out as well to to America and South Korea, the big two export markets. So 600 containers. Now, I think he said it was down to about $3,000 for them. Um, you can work that out. It's a massive saving. It's it's seven, eight, nine million $9 million saving or something. So huge tailwind there. And that 
uh, reinforces the point that he said, yeah, their operating margin will be increasing in 2023. Uh, so, um, and that's a big, big factor, the, this large saving in container shipping costs. And, of course, the, the pound has uh, solidified against the dollar. It's now up to 123 against the dollar. Uh, it bottomed out at 105, didn't it, during the mini-budget. Now, Next have said that, uh, a couple of months ago, Next... PLC said that that uh, rapidly depreciating sterling was one of the biggest drivers of UK inflation. So now, it, now it's going the other way, and sterling is actually looking a much more solid. This is a, a with a time lag because of hedging and so on. This is 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 very uh, positive, I think, for the outlook for inflation. And of course, the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey recently said, the uh, inflation rate in the UK will start dropping very quickly from the summer, and they're forecasting 2.9% by year end. And this is based on facts and figures, not on just um, hope value. Uh, Oh, house prices I'll touch on. There's a report from Nationwide, I think out today or Friday. House prices are now declining. They've dropped 4.6% from the August 2022 peak and are down 3.1% year-to-date in March. I think we all knew that. It's not really a big surprise, is it? Mortgage approvals down 40, 40% year-on-year. But, of course, there are lots of people remortgaging. So companies like Belvoir and Mortgage Advice Bureau are still going to get a decent amount of volume through from remortgaging. The average five-year fix nationwide says for a new mortgage is... Five-year fix, 4.4% in February. That's based on a 75% loan-to-value. You can actually get 4% or even 3.9% if you've got 60% loan-to-value. So these are not crisis levels of interest rates, I would suggest. And I think a lot of people, as I've said, as I say every week, a lot of people are going for a two-year discounted rate, which is lower considerably lower than those figures. So mortgages are still affordable but not as affordable as they were. Now, consumer confidence in the UK. I'm getting my data here from GFK, uh, a a um, well-respected surveyor. Now, this is interesting. Again, you wouldn't think this, based on what the stock market is doing in small caps, but UK consumer confidence hit a low in September at minus 48. It's recovered. It's still negative, uh, but it's recovered to minus 36 so that's a 12-point recovery as at March 23, which is very significant. Consumers in the UK are not uh, anywhere near as bombed out as the small-cap uh, side of things seems to suggest. And I think Cockney Rebel flagged this as well and said that we could actually get some surprises from consumer-facing stocks, uh, retailers, hospitality and so on. I certainly agree with that. That's why uh, two of my larger positions are Revolution Bars, which I am nervous about. It is high risk because of the bank debt. Uh, and But there were some director purchases recently. And obviously XP Factory is my second biggest holding. I know they're trading well because I've visited the sites. Uh, there is demand out there for the right formats, as you can see, if you go to XP Factory. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if XP Factory uh, puts out an outperforming update. And then there could be good upside on the shares, I hope. Can't guarantee it, obviously. Now, what about business confidence? I don't really follow this, but I saw a a press report of a Lloyds Bank uh, business barometer, 
which is at a 10-month high. Which is surprising, isn't it? So you've got consumer confidence now at a... a, a well, actually, the consumer confidence graph is probably at a similar 12, 10 or 12-month high, because I'm just visualising the chart. Um, so this is quite interesting, isn't it? So, uh, you know, if we can dodge the, 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 the profit warnings, I think you've got an opportunity to buy some really cheap small caps right now. And I think we should... Uh, uh, be, ignore the doom merchants and the press and the investors who are capitulating. There are some nice opportunities out there. It seems to me the banking fears, at least in the short term, seem to be receding as well. But, you know, we could be hit by anything on a daily basis, couldn't we? I'm sure there will be more collapses of financial organisations and more bailouts and so on. We just don't know when or uh, which ones they'll be. Although the banks that have got into trouble, it was all obvious, wasn't it? Credit Suisse, everybody knew it was a basket case. Deutsche Bank, everybody knew it was a basket case. SVB, everyone knew that it was doing a highly speculative speculative lending and so on. So it's the obvious ones that are going under. But that's probably as far as my expertise on the sector, which is very little, uh, can go. So talk to the. I, I listen to the experts because they know what they're talking about. I don't. I'm just regurgitating what I what I pick up on my travels. <coughs> right, I think we've covered nearly all of these. Oh, Eurozone inflation was very sharply down in March. Now, this is interesting. In February, it was 8.5%. It dropped in March to 6.9%. That's a huge drop in one month. Now, the reason for that, I'm told, is that Russia invaded Ukraine fully. It had obviously been doing under-the-radar invasions for years, but the big invasion of Ukraine started on the 24th of February last year. So we've now lapped that figure by over a month. And that, of course, caused it caused a huge spike in energy prices, which are now annualising with much, much lower figures here. So what you're going to start to see is that energy costs will actually start contributing, will no longer be pushing up the annualised inflation rate, they'll actually be pulling it down with each month's, month that passes based on you know what the current energy prices are. Obviously, nobody knows what they're going to change to in future. So again, this is very interesting. I think if you can get in ahead of these trends by spotting what's uh, almost certainly going to happen over the co- coming year, you could do very well on your individual shares. Well, I hope that's interesting. I'll do a hard stop now because I want to keep this to no more than 30 minutes. But the overall picture from me is, I think, is positive. The forward-looking data is moving in the right direction. Valuations of small caps are incredibly attractive in some cases. Uh, I think you've got buying opportunities galore right now if you're prepared to take the downside risk that things could get could get worse, that some sort of black swan event could happen. You just can't rule those things out, can you? So maybe keeping a bit of cash in reserve for buying good companies on profit warnings might also be a good plan. I don't know. I mean, I'm always fully invested, so I can't, I can't eat my own cooking, really. Uh, as I always say, I think I'm a better commentator than investor. <laughs> Happy to admit that, you know, a lot of it's down to human factors and personality and so on. I'm just a bit too excitable to to manage money, I think. But, uh, I mean, I do, I do fine overall from it, but definitely could do better. Right, well, oh, OK, on that note of humility, I think I'll wrap up. And uh, I look forward to doing next week's podcasts from Malta. 
and the internet is very good over there, providing no Chinese submarines come along and cut it, of course, or Russian. <laughs> and I think I'll take my microphone with me so I can get decent audio quality as well. Thanks for listening, and as always, love to hear your feedback on the topics discussed or just uh, on the podcast generally. Okay, bye for now, or rather bye.